episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nithin. What's good, Nithin? They call it March Madness for a reason, and that reason is that a team like Virginia Tech can actually make it all the way to the Final Four. Shout out to the women who last night took down Ohio State a couple days after after beating uh, the Tennessee Volunteers, which, you know, from Candace Parker and Shamiqua Holdsclaw fame. I'm pumped, man. This is the March Madness they've been telling me about. I didn't know that it was going to be possible, but here we are in the Final Four. In my favorite city, by the way, Dallas, Texas. You know, you um, this adds to the long list of teams that, <laughs> out of nowhere, you showed this deep kind of fandom of, Remember this happened with the Nationals when they went on their run. It happened with the Capitals. It's now happening with the Virginia Tech women's team. I have not heard you say a word about any of these teams prior to them kind of getting close to that mountaintop. So I, I got to say, man, you are a Class A front runner. But I can't blame you because it's hard when the Wizards and the Redskins <laughs> or Commanders have never given you anything to root for. So I just want to throw that out there first. I got to say, if there's anything I'm a class A of, it's the ability to quickly ramp up on any of these teams and be able to actually spit knowledge and facts and, and stats uh, as if I've been following them all year. No, I did not know that we were this good. I saw as it got closer to the ACC tournament, I saw there was whispers that we could be a one seed, which kind of caught me off guard. And then all of a sudden we're playing in the Elite Eight. I Well, listen, to my credit, I've watched the last two games um, start to finish despite there being other basketball on, including on Sunday when there was, uh, sorry, on Saturday when there was obviously men's NCAA on, and then on Monday when we were supposed to get Joker versus Embiid, even without knowing Embiid was out, I still chose to watch the Virginia Tech women. So I think my fandom is quite entrenched at this point. Do you think they have a shot at upending Iowa or South Carolina, even if they do get past LSU, which is very possible? Props on knowing the bracket. Uh, no, it does not look like anybody is touching South Carolina, um, even right now as it stands, they're minus 350 favorites to win. And Virginia Tech is in the, in the final freaking, four. Yeah, wow. Virginia Tech's in the freaking final four and we're 14 to one to win the whole thing. Here's what doesn't make sense. Iowa has better odds to win the national championship than we do. And they have to play South Carolina first. Yeah. That Logically, doesn't that doesn't seem to hold. But nonetheless, who's Iowa's uh, what's her what's her name? The star player? Uh, who dropped Caitlin like Clark 40, or something? Caitlin Clark, yeah. Is she that dropped right? like 40, 10, and 10. Yeah, Caitlin Clark. Game. And she had like a 35, 10, and 10 or something early in the year, apparently. So, but you know what's funny? Like, in all seriousness, no, I will say this. It's cool. We've never, you know, everybody knows Virginia Tech's never won a national title. Okay, whatever. This could be a chance, but maybe it's not. But even still, it's, could, it's cool to reach these type of heights having never done that before in the men's or women's side of the bracket. Um, and the cool thing is, even though they sent our asses to Seattle, which is about as far as you can take a team from Blacksburg, <laughs> that does happen to be one of the hotbeds of women's basketball. So I think the crowd was pretty amped versus if they put that in like Atlanta or something and nobody really was like paying much attention. So that was, that part was cool. But in, in, in terms of the men's bracket, that is even crazier the way things have shaken out. UConn as a four seed is the clubhouse leader and there's no ones, twos, or threes. And there wasn't even a one or two in the Elite Eight. Yeah, the men's bracket has definitely, it's it's a win for all those who want upsets at all times. I think it's a loss for the sport because you want upsets to a certain point. I think at this point in this game, like you want the Blue Bloods, man. Like last year we had, what, Duke, Kansas, Villanova, and UNC. UNC. And this year we have this poo-poo platter of teams. Like, who cares? I don't care if Florida Atlantic gets to the finals. Like, this is – it's a bad product. I don't like it. Um, it's exciting, man. But now the Final Four, I want to see the best of the best, not these outclass teams. Well, And I'm bitter. I'm bitter at UCLA. UCLA, if they had Jalen Clark and Adam Bona, they would have won the entire thing. I have no doubt in my mind. There was no team stopping them. And where were those guys? I injured. I mean. Oh, I didn't know if those were like players from this year's team or you were like, I wish the guys from last year's team were on this year's team. Yeah, you're That's too busy studying the Hokies <laughs> women's roster. Liz Kitley, two-time ACC player of the year. She's actually roommates with the point guard 
Georgia, uh, Georgia Moore. So it's actually a nice little friendship that's bonding both on and off the court, uh, which is a storyline we'll be following on Friday. But I think <laughs> to your point, I was thinking about this because I was like, we're not going to have maybe UConn has a guy, but like we're not going to have like any lottery prospects playing this weekend. And me and you as NBA guys first always have that lean. Like, who are we going to see? Brandon Miller, who was probably the highest rated prospect in the tournament and in college basketball this season, went ahead and submitted the worst shooting performance in NCAA history for for a guy with that many shot attempts. So that wasn't great for everyone who was saying he should overtake uh, Scoot Henderson um, in the top two. The ringer was heavy on that. Yeah, this may be a Kevin O'Connor, Killian Hayes situation all over again. (laughs) But no, I I do like Miller. I mean, maybe just, you know, make or miss league kind of thing. But, um, you know, I was watching the, was it my, yeah, the Miami, Texas game. It's crazy because I swear to God, it was 64-51. I was like, okay, if Texas gets in, that normalizes things a little bit. Turn it back. It's 77 apiece, like in 10 minutes. And Jim Laranega, speaking of upsets in the Final Four, Jim Laranega, former coach of George Mason University from guess where? Fairfax, Virginia. <laughs> 2006, junior in high school. That team lives on forever for those of us in Northern Virginia. And so we kind of do have an appreciation for the underdog making it all the way here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that that was probably the stunner of the weekend. Uh, I thought Texas had it wrapped up, turned it off, and was shocked when I saw the final score. And that was my Texas was my final pick, the pick to win the the title. But I, you should never trust Texas. Like I don't know why I do this every year. It's like some of these schools, you just you're gonna get burnt. I'd rather you should just pick a team like Miami and take a gamble. But I, I did think that because I had Bama over UCLA in the finals. And I had Houston and Marquette. So Marquette gets knocked out weekend one, right? They lose to, I think, Michigan State. In a span of 24 hours, I lost the other three (laughs) Final Four teams between Thursday and Friday. I was like, why do I even – what's the point of picking chalk? The best case scenario is that you have like a 17-way tie uh, with everybody else who picked Alabama to win. So, Yeah, but if if your one like bold pick gets flames out in the first round, you're like, what do I do the rest of the tournament, right? So it works both ways. But – yeah, I mean, it's it's fun. Look, college basketball is fun, um, but I kind of take the same stance as De'Aaron Fox, who recently caught a little bit of flack for saying it's a horrible product. The coaching is terrible. Why would anyone watch that? Dude, you don't have to tell me twice. Anybody who knows me and loves college basketball knows how often I'm quick to to denounce it because it does suck. There's no doubt about that. I just, you know what? I, I just can't understand why the college ball bounces the way it does. Like they they can't swish a shot. It has to rattle around the rim. <laughs> Everything has to be kind of a little clunky. It's just forcibly it? reminding of you the, of the of Hoosiers at all times in Glory so Road. I, I never understood that. Why is that? Is it just because the ball is the ball is the same size? The other thing is, why is the ball so orange? Like, it looks like a rubber ball that's bouncing, like, from your driveway. Like, why couldn't they have maybe made it a little bit, like, duller of an orange, just like the NBA ball? It's bright orange. It is very bright. Yeah, it's like a neon orange. Um, but anyways, now we're just complaining for the sake of complaining. By the way, you talked about uh, the Warriors were down 17 at half. Pre, pre, pre-record, you're like, yeah, they can come back. They already got it down to nine within 75 seconds of the second quarter. What did I say, start. man? None of, these, none of these leads matter. Today, yeah. OKC had a big lead on Charlotte. They dropped it in Dude, a game they needed. Yeah, I was shocked by that. SGA didn't even play, though, right? I don't know what No, SGA weird... didn't play, but still, they were up big, and it's Charlotte. I have a weird thought about this. playing the role this. of spoiler. I have a weird thought about this. This, this like, SGA's done it. Lori Markkinen's done it a little bit. The Wizards have sort of done it with with Beal. Pacers have done it with Halliburton. They've now moved to this new, like, soft tank where they still play their guys, like, every now and then. They don't completely shut them down. But then they randomly, like, OKC, like you said, has a must-win game against an easy opponent. If SGA plays, they win that 10 times out of 10. He randomly sits. But then he'll play again next game. So it's like, what's the angle here? Like, are you guys going for the plan? Are you not? Do you not care? Are you just going to just like do this like weird in and out thing so that you don't get criticism, but you still kind of don't make the playoffs? It's happening across the league. It's the latest uh, evolution in tanking. I don't understand it at all. It's because if you're worried about a guy getting injured, then sit him. If you want to play for the plan, then play him. Like this on and off approach, it doesn't benefit anyone. 
Um, like the Pacers played all their guys versus Boston on Saturday, got blown out. Then they sat all their guys on Monday at home versus Dallas and got blown out. So I can't really, and then they're probably going to play them again next game. I don't really understand what the rhyme or reason is to this schedule. It's not like these are back-to-backs, and it's not like they're necessarily like hurt with a real injury. I'm sure they're nursing something, but it's very This strange. is the problem with the league, that the load management is not just the big stars and the top teams. It is literally infecting teams trying <laughs> to tank, teams who are like barely in the play-in. I, I literally feel like the Kings are the only team who's not like sitting guys and managing Kings and anyone. Knicks. Knicks too. Yeah. I respect I mean, Tibbs. That's of, just against Tibbs. Yeah. Like Brunson's actually been hurt. So that's how, that's why he hasn't played as much. But you look at Barrett, you look at Quickly, you look at Randall. They strap it in every single game. And the same thing, you know, Fox, the, the thing about the Kings is like Fox's minutes have been weird recently. Like he'll have games where he's under 30 minutes. I'm not entirely sure why. Well, he, he had one game where he got injured and okay. came out, and then he missed the next game. So that might be the one you're referring to. But yeah, because I think I bet on him for 20 plus points. Of course, you're that guy. You're that guy who like heckling the players, for not <laughs> hitting your thoughts over. to myself, just being like, "I wish you told me before you're just going to mail it in tonight." <laughs> um, but to your point, there's still like over half the league that has significant, uh, you know something to play for right now, right? You look at the Western Conference, everyone from Phoenix at four to really Utah at 12 is within five games. And given that there's only five to seven games left to play, you're really looking at kind of Minnesota at six to Dallas at 11, with two-game separation. Um, You look good one week, you look bad one week, everything can completely flip. I think... The Mavericks have been rightfully getting skewered across all mediums because of what happened over the weekend, dropping two games to the Hornets where they were favored by like a combined 27 points. May have even killed their chances at, first of all, hosting a play-in game. Now they're on the brink of even making the play-in. But, you know, New Orleans, dead in the water. Everyone was like, this team is trash. Zion's never coming back. Suddenly they're in eighth, and they have a chance tonight to go up to seventh. So, Let's break it down in more detail, but just to start, what do you make of this Western Conference? Because every team can look great, every team can look bad, and you don't even know if these are contenders, pretenders, or what. It's hard to make anything uh, of the conference, and I think what I like about this year, too, is that you can't even strategically sit guys or not play guys because of seed, Mm -hmm. like what seed you're targeting. In the past, we've seen a little of that jostling. It's like, oh, let's sit our guys, get a friendlier matchup in the first round or second round. You can't afford to do that. I think every team wants to play the Kings in the first round as opposed to Memphis. But that 6-7-8 race is is too tight. Yep. But kind of like what you said, I don't understand the strategic playing and sitting of guys that's still happening. Um, And, you know, Minnesota sat Cat. um, But, of course, he just came back for an injury. OKC sat SGA. So all these teams are kind of playing it fast and loose with their lineups in a time where they can't really afford to. Or even so, think about like when the Lakers were fighting for their lives, they sit AD versus Houston. Yep. And they lose the game. And it's like, what? I don't... Because here's what the NBA... The NBA, and this is now a broader conversation that I think is worth having, maybe not right at this moment, but the NBA is in the situation where they've capitulated on everything. It's like a bigger picture issue of what was happening in Brooklyn where they gave into every demand that Kyrie and Katie had. So when the time came, you couldn't put your foot down as soon as they did it imploded. The NBA is in that same situation right now. Like they've extended the schedule. They've added these home and homes where you don't have to travel much. They've reduced the number of back-to-backs and people are still finding a way to miss games. They are going to either have to put in significant contract clauses, which is going to be fought by the players union or go the more extreme route and make this like the ultimate soft schedule. Um, Whether that's 72 games, whether that's no back-to-backs, whether that's like, you know, every team just plays three games a week and that's that or something. Because right now there's every version that exists in the schedule. Teams are finding a way. Like Joel Embiid missed last night uh, Mm -hmm. the matchup against the Nuggets. And I fully believe that he just ducked the smoke because he knew they were going to get rocked. They called it a uh, density of schedule. Yeah. (laughs) That's a new one. So 
we're at a point where you can't win. They played Saturday. They played Friday. So he can play Monday. I don't know. Yeah, that's why the back-to-back doesn't even matter because these guys are taking off games even when it's... If it's the third game in four days and it's not back-to-back, it, it still counts as too heavy of a schedule load. There's nothing the NBA can do about this. Like you said, they let the cat out of the bag. They've Their only solve right now is that whole awards, all-NBA, putting a minimum game restriction, which doesn't solve the problem. That being said, right, I'm hoping that at, after this postseason, we're going to have a couple big-name teams miss the postseason. Maybe Dallas. Maybe the Lakers. Maybe the Warriors, even. Mm-hmm. Um, the Warriors maybe not a good example because they don't really load management. They had serious injuries, and Wiggins was gone. But I'm hoping that maybe this year kind of resets everyone a bit, and they're like, okay, we can't afford to play fast and loose with our players because it costs us a playoff spot. And teams like the Clippers, well, the Clippers will make it now, but all these teams, I think, the bottom could fall out if if they don't at make the postseason. Moment, yeah. At least with Dallas, LA, Golden State. So there's an incentive. So I'm hoping maybe next year things are better. This might be an anomaly of a year. But I don't know. It's a concerning trend regardless. It's amazing to me that, you know, the 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 Clippers are the ultimate example of just not giving a shit, a single fuck about the regular season. And I, I don't even know if it I can say it cost them specifically, right? Like they were in perfect position in the bubble, which was year one of Kawhi and PG. They choked, but they should have been the conference finals. They choked, right? That had nothing to do with the rest of the regular season. Obviously, the season was broken up. Next year, 21 they made the run and probably could have won the title if not for Kawhi's ACL, but they still got to the conference final. So again, no, like it wasn't the call to the regular season last year. There's no Kawhi. So you can't really, it doesn't really matter what happens. And this year, again, they just like have no desire to play well. And like, suddenly you look at it and you're like, they had to add Russell Westbrook with 20 games to go just to give their offense a jolt. And so maybe it's all fine and none of this matters, but if they get bounced, I mean, you talked about missing the playoffs, but if they just get bounced early, like let's say they go to Phoenix and just get rocked round one, or shit, even go to Memphis or Sacramento, who knows, and just get rocked round one, I think that can also serve the same purpose as a wake-up call of being like, all right, we got to like figure out how to like make this machine work a little bit more seamlessly. But the flip side to the argument is they could convince themselves that even if they went hard and they finished as a three seed, they're going to play a really good team who's in six, right? It's like, it doesn't matter where you finish. Yeah. You could be the true. Kings, like do everything by the book, play your hardest and get stuck with a, just playing the Suns in the first round. Like, yeah, <laughs> there's a scenario where you just can't win. And so I don't know. Part of me thinks the other side of it is that teams realize, Hey, look, it doesn't matter. Cause wherever we get seated, we're going to face someone good. We just need to load manage our way to a point that we make the playoffs, and then we'll go from there. You don't want to be in the play-in, but if you're in the top six, you know, seven maybe, you'll at least give yourself two chances. Well, that's the amazing thing about what the play-in has accomplished is it made the margin for error, like, basically nothing, right? Mm -hmm. Meaning to try to, like, get yourself into the top six but not seven has turned into (laughs) such a fine line because usually, like, there's probably eight to nine decent teams in the conference. And so there's a bigger divide there this year in the West is probably a little bit of an anomaly with just the parody. But normally, like if you look at the, if you look at the East, the 10 teams that are making the plan have been established for some time. The five teams that are pretty much safe, right? Bucks, Celtics, Sixers, Cavs, Knicks have been established for some time. So there's a lot less noise into it, but it's hard for you as a team that's like, let's say Miami, who's obviously like slow played it to then be like, oh yeah, I'm going to be in the top six. Cause now there's like sitting there and if you lose a single game and Hawks catch fire, the Nets keep afloat or the Knicks figure it out, then you're like, shit, I got to play the Celtics round one. This isn't what I wanted. Mm-hmm. And I, I still struggle. The, 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 you know, in the West, it's so weird because the matchups, like you said, are kind of, doesn't matter what seed you face. You might face the defending champions as a three seed, right? it just feels like it's a dangerous game to play to try to like game theory your way to the optimal regular season. Yeah, it is a dangerous game to play. And I think the solve, I think the solve for this, it has to be minimum number of games tied to your contract. 
I don't know how, like, unless it's an injury that's like, they have to have a, a you list of me. injuries. Me and you uh-huh. have to look at it. We have to look like, at the imaging and decide if it's a real injury or not. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, I mean, look, there's obviously there's a, there'll be some gray area with some of the injuries, but there's a very big difference between like in a injured toe versus a torn ACL. And I think there's got to be some distinction. They come up with a list of, of injuries that are approved for extended sitting out periods and those that aren't. Now, will they ever come to that agreement? There's no chance in hell. But I think that's the only way because if you don't have that classification, people can use whatever justification they want yeah. to bench guys. I mean, Ben Simmons, shout out to the corpse of Ben Simmons. His season was mercifully put to an end today after he was announced out due to some type of unclear back and hip and or rib injury or something like that. I feel like this announcement's been made three times in the last four <laughs> weeks. Like I, I was like, didn't I already hear this? That he's been benched for the season? But you know the the funny thing about the six uh, the Nets, by the way, is like did you see the stat that I think two games ago Bridges uh, uh Bridges, Dinwiddie, and Cam Johnson had already played more minutes in the in their stint with the Nets than Kyrie, Katie, and Harden. I did see that. That was wild. <laughs> really, really crazy stuff. Um anyway, staying out west, let's talk about the Mavs first. Because I think they are the biggest headline right now. They did write the ship, quote unquote, against like the G League P- P- uh, Pacers team yesterday. But they're sitting here at thirty-seven and thirty-nine, and their schedule is brutal. Like, let me let me pull up this math schedule because I'm I'm like genuinely at the point concerned that I think those two games versus the Hornets pretty much cost them, right? So they have Philadelphia at Philadelphia tomorrow, then they go at Miami. At a desperate Atlanta team, home versus Sacramento, who probably is not resting guys by then, even though they they would have clinched the three, I imagine. Home versus Chicago, who's going to be fighting like hell, right, to, to get out of the 10 spot. And then home versus San Antonio. So I think there's one game that I would mark as a definitive win out of oh, the San next Antonio. seven, the next six, the last six. So I guess, like, what's going on with them? Is this just a failed experiment? Is this just trying to makeshift your roster on the fly and it doesn't work? Is this, you know, bigger, bigger, deep, deeper-seated, rooted issues here? I think it's the latter. I think the – I don't think the Kyrie move is a failure yet. Clearly, he's looking that way. Mm-hmm. He's been good. He's been solid for them. But ultimately, they sacrificed depth and some core pieces that they could have used. And I don't think they've had enough time to figure out what their offense looks like beyond just your turn, my turn. And defensively, they haven't figured out. I mean, like, I actually... It's a disaster defensively. The one thing Jason Kidd has actually done in the past, you saw this last year, you saw this even in some of those Bucks teams, is the teams start out bad defensively. They eventually figure it. They come, like, he's, he's schemed some pretty good defenses despite limitations. Last year, Dallas became a juggernaut defensively with Kleber managing the the post. I think they didn't have enough time to figure that out, and they're a disaster. And Kyrie doesn't help. Obviously, you, you add Kyrie, you lose Finney Smith. And so I just don't think they've had enough time. But at the same time, this move may have just been too costly in terms of what they had to give up. And they were hoping that adding Kyrie would provide them with that jolt. And once they get into the playoffs, it's another... Uh, ball handler, another guy who can you rely on at the end of games, but they may not even make the playoffs. So right. it's it's been a disaster all around. And I think that like Kyrie has been really good for them, right? If you look at Kyrie's numbers, they've been really good. When you look at the, the, the time he spent on court without Luka, it's actually been pretty good. The pairing has been a disaster, I think, for a lot of reasons. And it's very, it's it's a lazy trope to just be like, oh yeah, Kyrie detonates another team. That may happen eventually, don't get me wrong, but I don't think that's happened yet here. No. I think the bigger issue is, like you said, like defensively, they're a complete tire fire. They have no size whatsoever. They got like Maxi Kleba is like their best big man, and he's coming off injuries. You know, they have Dwight Powell coming off injuries. They have JaVel McGee, who they spent the mid-level on, who's just sitting on the bench doing nothing, collecting dust. Christian Wood, who's a good player, but in spot minutes and not for a team that struggles defensively, right? Like you put him on a team with Draymond Green or something like that, then sure, or Brooke Lopez. And yeah, like you can cover up from his issues. 
but not when that's your team's biggest issue to begin with. And I do want to say something. I am a Luca truther, as you know. I love him. I think he's just unbelievable, his age, his skill set, etc. There's a lot of comps to LeBron, um, early career Cavs, early career Mavs, etc. No help. LeBron would never be in this position and was never in this position in his prime. After those first two years of getting all the just fucking just the old Cavs guys, Ricky Davis and all those dudes out of there, they were always excellent after that. They may not have always had playoff success, but they never had bad seasons mm-hmm. because he could go two ways at 10 out of 10 levels. And Luca can only go one way at that level. And that doesn't even account for the fact that I think his play style is definitely more hardened than LeBron. And it's actually more difficult to play with Luca than it was to play with LeBron. Because of LeBron's just devastating as a finisher. He's devastating in transition. He can create differently than Luka can create. And so as great as Luka is and as great as his trajectory is, it's a departure from, I think, and I'm not trying to overreact, but even like in my own mind, the way I like forecasted his career, this season is a black mark because forget what your teammates are. If you're the greatness that we think we could be, meaning like top 10, top 20 ever potential, then you don't have seasons like this. The great ones that we put in that rarefied air almost never did. Um, And even take it down from LeBron, like Kevin Durant was never bad in his career, right? Steph Curry was never bad in his career. Um, Giannis has not been bad in his career once they got their ship righted. So I just think that like the ceiling that he, the floor really that that all times great greats bring is higher than what we've seen from Luka this season. I totally agree. I'm a big Luca guy, but he entered last season and this season as the MVP favorite. Right. They that doesn't just happen haphazardly, right? He was good enough to be the MVP favorite. And I think last year and the year before, you can talk about how tough the West has been. But this year there's been no excuse. Like, yeah, the team has not surrounded him with the right talent. But if you if I told you at the beginning of the season that Dallas wouldn't be a top six seed you'd think that was a massive disappointment. Right. Top eight, top 10, like at a certain point, you're absolutely correct. Like a guy like Giannis, if he was a 10th seed, a guy like LeBron is a 10th seed. Think about and that. You, unforgivable. It, it's insane. And he, he skates without that criticism somehow. And um, look, we, we can go into a lot of reasons why that might be. Um, but ultimately I think it, it is a black mark on him. And then for Luckily for him, Kyrie added to the mix once again deflects the attention. Yeah. Right. If things go south, it'll kind of be, oh, maybe it's because of Kyrie. But I think my outcome for Lucas' career is also a little bit different now that we've seen what happened this year. Uh, and I, I don't think I would have said that at the beginning of the season. And by the way, his roster sucks with or without Kyrie. Right. So that's not the point. I'm not saying they need to go be this year's Milwaukee or they need to be go this year's Denver. They're not built for that. And the roster, they've done a bad job building around them. But you should be able to get your team to 500 and better, really. 500 especially is a low in this bar. year. Dude, yeah, when this, this year, year when the four seed is barely above 500, there's no. And then team. you zoom in and you're like, you lost back to back games with, to Charlotte without LaMelo, without Ubre, without Rogier. Dennis Smith Jr. leading the charge with P.J. Washington. You had Kyrie and Luka for both of those games. At what point does personal pride kick in? You're like, I'm not getting my ass kicked twice by Charlotte. And we may say that those two games, maybe that's unfair, but those two games, you look at it now and you look at the standings, and that's probably going to cost them majorly, whether that's maybe they still sneak into the play-in, but as a 10 seed, right, versus eight. like Things like that are what makes a playoff appearance versus not. So, and it was back to back. That's the worst part, or not back to back, but yeah, one I mean, game it was after consecutive the other. games. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, um, um, I wanted to talk about Minnesota next. They've, I was high on Minnesota to start the year. I was totally wrong by what I thought they were going to gel like early on. Then they lose Cat after I think twenty games. He just comes back two games ago. Um, like you mentioned, they've been inconsistent all year. They've been hovering around 500. We've clowned the trade for Gobert endlessly. I still think it's a terrible trade. 
But you look at their team now, and it's starting to make a lot of sense. Um, I don't know if that was the Mike Conley swap with D'Angelo Russell. I don't know if that was just the team getting comfortable around what a Rudy Gobert pick-and-roll offense looks like and what he does on defense. He's starting to play a lot better, personally. Ant has taken a step, right? He made his first All-Star team. What are you seeing from Minnesota? Like, is this, hey, they're, you know, slightly above mediocre and just like the rest of these guys? Or can they build on this both this season and seasons to come when you think about the price they paid to put this roster together? Well, so those are two different questions. I think I like what they've done this season. Last several weeks. Um, They've built, I mean, okay, I still have questions around the cat Gobert pairing and how they're going to work around that. But in the absence of cat, when you watch them play, they have length, they have size, they've got shooting. Um, Nas Reed has been a revelation. Like I think he needs to get minutes, even when cat is playing full minutes and Gobert is playing full minutes. Nas Reed needs to get minutes because he's been that good for them. And obviously Jaden McDaniels, that perimeter, I mean, Six nine wing who can play defense, he can shoot, and I, I just think they're a team with lengthy players, good defenders, switchable defenders, a good interior presence in Gobert, a good point of attack with Conley, and I think he has helped them. He's got his numbers are never going to be flashy, but he's stabilized their offense. He's even in, against the Kings last night was getting clutch rebounds. And just doing the little things. You know, Conley's always been known for those little things. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's just making those extra plays when it matters. I just, I, and Ant, the, the amazing thing is Ant hasn't had to have been out of his mind incredible during this win streak. He's but actually not played well and they've won. Which... He hasn't, exactly. But the, the what you just said at the end, how do they build on this moving forward? Well, you're very limited. You don't yeah. have the flexibility you have some assets, I guess you can move, but without the draft capital, it's hard to take a swing and move to the next level. So what are you seeing out of Minnesota? Well, it's very strange, right? Because you go look at that trade and you look at the way Walker Kessler has been playing for Utah and you'd say you probably wouldn't trade Walker Kessler straight up for Gobert, given age and contract. They get sent him, they sent four first, and they sent three rotation players on top of all that. So trying to decouple myself from that trade because the gargantuan price tag is just hard to remove yourself from. Like you said, it handicaps everything they do moving forward. So you have a lot of tempered optimism with what you see. The main move is basically trading towns, building around Ant and Gobert, who again is on the wrong side at 30 and Ant is 21. So it's a tough um, balance to strike and you have Conley who's 35 and you know he's brought in for professionalism. So a lot of this is excitement for the fact that they're finally playing well, but a resigned uh, realism that this could all come crashing down soon or that we could already be at the max of what this team can be. Like, I don't think that the right answer is necessarily trading towns in a vacuum, but I don't know how else they get better. So let's say they send him to, uh, I'm just making it up, but like they send him to uh, the Knicks, right? And they say, hey, RJ Barrett quickly contracts and a pick or two. Maybe the Knicks do that, assuming they would want that, right? You build around Towns, Randall, and Brunson, and then these guys are able to shape out the depth of the roster a little bit. That could work. But you're taking down the the star-level talent quite a bit to sort of that Tier 2, Tier 3 player in a Barrett. So I'm a big fan of Ant. I'm curious how he can elevate his game a little bit because the inconsistency is still there in a big way. And without a cat, he has to carry the scoring burden even further. Because I don't see how they can go get another tier two or like a number two scorer on their team. I think a guy like McDaniels can be that Swiss Army knife OG Ananobi level player, but I don't know that he can be like a I don't know. Can he be Paul George to Ants Kawhi? No. And so that's the question is like how do you get that so you have enough juice offensively? Yeah, that's a big question. That's not coming kind of inherently with the roster you have today. Yeah. And you look I, at I, it, like I, they're 23rd in offense, and they've up to 10th in defense. So offense is the problem for a team that was first in offense last year, right? This was their calling card. I've changed my mind on on trades and team building after the Fox or Sabonis Halliburton trade because if you look at what the Kings did, right? You have Fox, you have Halliburton. Halliburton by far the more valuable asset. Um, 
but Fox, because of the contract, because of the age, because of whatever reason, harder to move. And so you get the value you can get for Halliburton and, and make it work. And I think for the Timberwolves, the analogy there is you've kind of already invested in Gobert. He's un, he's not movable, at least not yet. No. But Towns has value. Towns, you can flip for another piece that works within this structure of the team you built with Gobert, with Ant. And like you said, Ant is the guy. So it's not like when Towns was the number one 1A option, it felt a little harder, but I think they can definitely make that move. But now, what is the return you want back? I think it needs to be something like a Halliburton for Sabonis, where you get equivalent talent back, not a poo-poo platter of, I don't even know if I do the the quickly RJ Barrett, some picks. Yeah. You try to go, like, I know the Trey Young trades have been talked about a lot. I don't know if that's a, the best one, but you try to make a move for disgruntled starvers for star that's not working with their team and and take a chance because i think you've got all the other pieces to form a nice core you just need that secondary score like you said and i think they can go for that like with cat is valuable enough to get that what about like danny abdia <laughs> johnny davis oh my god johnny, johnny davis, davis you're 15, gonna have to tr- he had touch a first points, round pick to get rid of way, johnny davis. Uh, so i would like you to take a moment to recognize that wait who he had 15 points last game or two games ago. Wow. Yeah. I think that may have been more than his entire previous season scoring output. Um, I was actually thinking as you're talking about like a Halliburton for Sabonis kind of deal, because I think Sabonis is a similar player arc as as Cat, right? Like great offensively, limited defensively. So you wonder what the team you can build around them. Probably not a consistently all NBA level player, but an all-star, right? Um, Top 30 guy, roughly speaking. And Halliburton was a prospect who we've talked about this, but we just didn't see this level of progression from him this quickly. So I was trying to think about who would be the right comp. And not that the team would do it, but I was thinking maybe someone even like a Tyrese Maxey. Yeah. Like you trade Tyrese Maxey and Tobias Harris for Cat. Now, I think it's very unlikely that the Sixers would try to pair Cat and Embiid together, but yeah. I think that's the level of player that you would imagine they could go get. Or or let's say you go to, to New Orleans, uh, sorry, the, the the Warriors, and you say Jordan Poole and Kaminga. Is that of yeah. interest? Like, I don't know. I, I think you're on the right track. Those are the types of moves that give you a scoring punch, relatively young guard. You can fit, and then you just live with Gobert. And look, you've tied your your future to Gobert for the next three, four years, whether you like it or not. Try to build a team around that construction, and maybe you'll find some success. Because I don't think this team, as good as they've started to play, even if they take a leap next year, what are they max? Three seed? Yeah. I I don't know. There's still a lot of questions. Yeah, uh, it depends on Ant's trajectory. If he ends up becoming just a superstar, which he could, like a to- like a first team All NBA type guy, then sky's the limit. But I still have questions around this team. If I had to ask you, you know, we've talked about this sort of five through twelve range. Who's under the most singular pressure this season? Who would you say to win? And include four, because I think Phoenix, even though they're going to make the playoffs, they're in the same ballpark of pressure. Dallas. <laughs> so they're the most screwed because they're literally the one team that's outside that range. Because I think everyone's got to keep... Okay, the Clippers... Everyone talks about the Clippers having pressure. I just don't think enough people care. There's no fan base that's upset. There's no media that's on their case they it, they're very apathetic towards the whole thing on paper it should be the clippers right but who is really getting up all up in arms about this we are as podcasters bloggers we're talking about this being a failed experiment but do you think anyone a clippers fan cares do you think anything's going to happen because of that i guess that's the interesting question because this was always the conundrum with the nets right where you're like i'm not sure anyone actually knows that the that Durant, Kyrie, and Harden play for the Nets if you lived in Brooklyn. And so what does it matter that it didn't work? And I actually think in hindsight, 
it was less of a deal because they played there. Like you think about the fallout from all that, like how spectacularly it collapsed. Yeah, sure. We talked about it for a week or two, but then we just went on our normal seasons talking about Kyrie on the Mavs, Durant on the, uh, on the Suns, how good Harden and Bede looked together in the Sixers. Like it was a colossal disaster that I don't think we're going to see in a long, long time, but it does not matter as much because they play for a, you know, woebegone franchise. Now, if that was the Knicks, then you have a whole different story, right? Yeah. Stephen A is still yelling about that right now. Um, I do think that matters. I guess if you look at it as purely an NBA historian, I would pick the Clippers because I don't know where they go from here. Um, you still have those two guys under contract and Kawhi's playing awesome, which is re- really encouraging. But it's just one more year where there's just that little bit more angst. And you know you don't know when it's time for that one to you know have the trigger pulled. And, and their guys are getting old. Like Morris is already now finally Ty Luz had the courage to to yeah. sit him. Batum, how many years is Batum going to give you? Westbrook's yeah. not a spring chicken. Like they're relying on such veteran players. Eric Gordon now they've only gotten older. So I I mean yeah, and even Kawhi and PG are both thirty plus, right? So. Every single player in the, that core, besides um, maybe Terrence Mann, yeah, is old, right? And or Zubach or something like that. But and they can keep retooling around the edges with the same types of moves. You know, maybe they trade Norm Powell or maybe they do whatever. But like last year, what could they do? All they did is bring in John Wall. Total disaster, right? So you can't really make that many moves because of your cap your cap situation, regardless of how much Steve Ballmer is willing to pay in luxury tax. So. That's a really interesting one. I guess the and Lakers. The other, we, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. Lakers. I was, was going to say, say Lakers we haven't really talked about as much. I mean, they have the title in the bag, so it's always like it's out there that the AD LeBron experiment worked, right? It brought them one ring. But if they flame out again, it's basically four out of five years of LeBron's tenure there being a total disaster. Like you don't think that puts a ton of pressure on them to, to sort of figure something else out before this prime, this extended, extended prime finally kind of extinguishes. It is a ton of pressure, but at the same time, I feel like our expectations for the Lakers were already more subdued. And when LeBron went down, AD missed a good amount of time this year. It just never seemed like it was going to happen. Um, I agree. It, it is another flame out and the fans are going to be upset and they should get scrutiny for it. But Ultimately, what are you going to do? You're going to keep LeBron. Maybe you try to move AD, but AD's also played out of his mind this year at, to a point where you don't want to part with him, so you're just going to run it back. To me, a team is only in crisis if they feel like they need to blow it up. They're worried about keeping their guys. They're worried about what happens. And that's why I say Dallas, because Dallas, literally, they have to sign Kyrie now. You have to make that decision. Luka's upset. Yeah, he has three more years, but we know that doesn't mean anything in today's NBA. Yeah. They don't have many moves to make. They might have to make a coaching change because kids not. So like to me, that seems like there's just way more variables that have gone wrong than the Lakers. You can still at the end of the day, be like LeBron's old. We had a lot of injuries. This team was never constructed well to begin with. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. I think the other thing that's, that's part of this is like, the Lakers made their move, right? They moved one of the picks. If they had not done that and they were still sitting on those two picks, I think the pressure cooker would have been crazy. But they have a roster that I think they like and they could easily talk themselves. And LeBron could easily talk themselves into like, hey, if my foot was healthy, then this would work, right? Or if I had 82 games with this team, then this would work. There's a built-in reason of being like, well, we don't have like the full complement of everybody for the full season to see what it would really work like. And I and and I don't think AD is getting moved. Like he's just too good. Like he, he's too good relative to the red flags. So the price would be so super distorted. You don't talk about no Zopa. Yeah. I don't think there's any Zopa on an Anthony Davis trade. Um, so that's the big problem that they're going to be dealing with. Yeah, and I, th- I think for them though, there are some worrisome signs right there. I mean, Schroeder is having an amazing year. Yeah, Austin Reeves, who maybe he's good, but probably not. Reeves, right? And Vanderbilt's been really good, but at the same time, the way the Laker fans talk about Vanderbilt's as if he's freaking Kareem, right? So <laughs> that's the I think there's a little bit of regression from some of these guys. They're relying on some players like Schroeder, who uh, isn't he up for 
Because his contract was just this year, right? Yeah. No, it's true. It's like all these guys are so amazing because they're being you know talked about through the lore of the Lakers sunglasses, yet they're still never going to be away from 500. It's like if all these dudes were so awesome and they're starting to play every game, then why aren't they just better? Yeah, and they go through stretches where they start winning, but then they'll drop a game to the Bulls. They'll drop it like they'll drop these games, and then you remember they're not that good of a team still. So and they got smoked by the Bulls. They actually yeah. played tomorrow night in Chicago. Yeah, all these teams, man, like all these teams at the bottom of the West are just—they keep dropping these games that you think they're going to win and climb back. And the Warriors are now at least pulled in within three. But yeah, I I just I worry that. The Lakers are going to get in. The Warriors are going to get in, and they're going to both rampage. I need to just see them down and out before I'm I'm ever going to trust that they're not going to make a run. I I think they will. I think the path is too good. You play the Kings. If you get to six, you play Memphis, who you've got a personal vendetta against, and then what? You just have to beat Denver. Exactly, or Phoenix, Phoenix or Denver. But you hope Denver kind of upends Phoenix, and then you don't have to worry about. Phoenix. Yeah, let's play. There's a very clear path. Do you think do you think that Phoenix is going to um beat Denver in round two? Because that's almost definitely gonna happen. Like one and four. One and yes. Phoenix is going to the the finals. I'll tell you right now. If Durant is healthy at the beginning of round one. He's coming back tomorrow night. What do you mean if he's healthy? He's back. I mean, look, he's hurts himself again. There's still seven games until round one, right? I'm not I'm gonna hold my breath. If he's healthy at the beginning of round one, they're going to the finals. By the way, the Warriors have the lead now. See, why Why do we even... Here's what I don't want. I don't want a Phoenix Clippers round one because I want to see both teams advance at least one round. And it's trending towards that possibly. So I'm almost rooting for the Warriors now such that they lose to Phoenix and Durant. Like, can you imagine the storylines between Warriors, Suns? You have the Chris Paul... Steph Curry rivalry for years and years. Although Paul was the elder statesman and sort of like thought to be superior, Curry just clowned him right over and over again. Then you have the Devin Booker, Clay Thompson rivalry, right? The four rings, the whole shit talking. You got KD versus the entire city of San Francisco, KD versus Draymond, you know, KD versus Bob Myers and Steve Kerr, that whole dynamic. And then you got the Suns, who have not won an NBA title ever, going against the Warriors, six finals in the last eight years, the whole deal, in round one. Can you believe that? That would be similar to when the Clippers played the Spurs, remember, years ago in mm-hmm. round one. Duncan and Paul, and Paul hit that game winner in game seven. I would say it's going to be very similar shows to that. I think if you're the NBA, the ideal outcome you have is Denver faces L.A. First round. Which L.A.? The Lakers. Lakers. Clippers can't fall down. I mean, actually, they could. Yeah, they could. Yeah. It's a couple games, right? Denver, LA, you get a little rematch of the bubble. um, Oh, yeah, the storied bubble series that we all (laughs) tell our grandchildren about. Yeah. But then, and then if if Golden State stays in seven, as it is right now, Memphis plays Golden State. I mean, crazy round one. Crazy Crazy round round one. Kings play the Timberwolves. Which, okay, two young teams, kind of NBA, exciting, whatever. NBA, we need an NBA TV series, yep. <laughs> yeah, that will be NBA TV. <laughs> and then Suns Clippers, right? And what that sets you up for is um, Denver, LA, fine. LA pulls off an upset, probably wouldn't happen. Denver wins. You play Durant or Kawhi. The Warriors play the Kings. Um, Or the... Timberwolves, and then you set up for Warriors, Suns. That see, that's final. the problem. The Kings, Timberwolves doesn't have a marquee team advancing. Every other series has a potential marquee series, team advancing because what the league wants is they want the Clippers, the Warriors, the Suns, the Nuggets, and the Lakers of those five teams, or maybe the Pelicans if Zion is healthy. Of those six teams, they want four of those to be the final four in the West, or Memphis, I guess. John. So basically everyone but the Kings. Um, I think Ja would sell, right? I think they're, I don't know, they're fairly nationally popular now, right? For all the shit talking. Oh, Ja is, for yeah. sure. And so, even more so now after all the controversy. So if you look at what's real and you get like a round two of Denver, Phoenix, 
and Memphis Golden State. I think that would be like ideal. You're right. Yeah, yeah. You you probably want Kings, Golden State in the first round. Memphis, right. Minnesota. Yep. Memphis, Minnesota at least has some juice from last year. Yeah, at least with Warriors, Kings, you have the crosstown rivalry. So that's a good storyline for a first round matchup. So okay, I changed my mind. You're right. It would be epic to have Memphis, Golden State, and then Denver, Phoenix, or Denver Clippers in the second round. I'm a big fan of local series, as local as you can get them. Like in in baseball, obviously you can get actual like crosstown rivalries. It doesn't really happen as much in basketball because only one team has two two one city has two teams and Lakers and Clippers. Uh, I don't know if they've ever played in the playoffs, but certainly not recently. Um, but Sacramento Golden State, it's about as close as you can get from two franchises, right? Like just thinking about geography wise. Um, short of maybe like Washington, Philadelphia or something like that. And that's not in the same state, so it doesn't quite feel the same distance. No, it might be the closest. We're talking 90 miles. Oh, then definitely, yeah. Washington, Philly is like 150 miles. And and the cool thing is, if you remember the Lakers-Kings 2002, um, I mean, that was Western Conference Finals, obviously so very different, but there was a lot of talk about NorCal versus SoCal, you know, farm town versus glitz and glamour. I think there'll be a similar, not the same, but similar narrative like tech versus, you know, out in the farmlands kind of a narrative uh, that emerges. And and there is some resentment, uh, you know, knowing there are a lot of people in Sacramento who don't like the fact that Bay Area folks are moving there and spending their money there instead. So ag there'll tech be some tension. Just ag. Huh? Ag tech versus just ag. <laughs> but yeah there, so it'll it'll actually be pretty um the only problem is you know it's the defending champs versus the upstart king so it's not at the end of the day no one's expecting the kings to win that you have exposure but if you just think about how ridiculously bad the warriors are on the road and then the king's environment for the first home game in 16 17 years you have a chance. I don't think you can beat the Warriors four times out of seven, despite with their road struggles. But certainly, like this would be the year to do so with that kind of home advantage and that kind of terrible road record. So normally, I'd buy into that, but the Warriors in the playoffs are just a different beast. It's right? so like I just throw that all out the window. I don't care. Um, like, and here, here's the other thing, right? Wiggins, Steve Kerr said Wiggins has been kind of staying in shape and practicing. I don't think necessarily with the team, but he could just come back. Like, we don't know what the issue is, but it's not an injury. It's not like he's definitely out for the postseason. If he comes back and just plugs back into that warrior system, like they've got their best defender back. They've got another offensive option. It changes everything. You've seen the rumors, I assume, right? Yeah, man. I was one of the ones spreading them and then people were like, yo, slow down. We don't have to get into it, but if those are true, those are pretty, I mean, I don't know. I don't know if he's going to play or not. I don't think any of it sounds like maybe, but I, there's no timetable because you don't know when he's going to decide that it's, you know, ready time to come back. See, here's the thing, right? I don't think those are necessarily true, but it can't just be something like a death in the family because by now they would have just said that. Yeah. Like, I get you want your personal space, but it would have come out at some point that he's dealing with a death of a family member or something. I don't the think fact it's that, that nothing. I also don't think that the way people are talking about it in like those kind of hush hush like tones, it wouldn't make sense because as tragic as that is and can be, it's not uncommon. Sadly, yeah. right? So it's not like it's a unique circumstance. The way people are talking about it clearly makes it seem like a unique circumstance. So when, if you remember at the beginning of the season or during the off season, remember how Ime Udoka was talked about? Yeah, there was a lot of just. No, like nothing being said, nothing being released. It was very kind of cryptic. So you knew something weird was going on. And then it came mm-hmm. out, right? And I think the similar thing with Wiggins, I think it's not as simple as just a family member death or something. Personally, I, I think it is some weird situation that, that's happening. And I don't want to speculate too much, but there might be some truth to the rumors to some extent, but who knows? I'm afraid it's probably closer to what those rumors are versus like a standard nonchalant explanation. Exactly. I think it's closer to the rumors than it is to that. That's yeah. exactly right. So 
we've barely talked about the East. Um, I'm not sure there's much to say until the playoffs. Do you still like Milwaukee above all else? Yeah, I, I think everyone likes Boston Milwaukee. I don't think... Is everyone too on Milwaukee? That's the question we got to ask ourselves. No, I mean, it's the best player in the game. You're going to give them the benefit of the doubt. Boston has shown vulnerability um, the last several weeks. They can turn it on. They can turn it off. And, I mean, the Wizards tonight just beat them. And, look, I was not paying attention to who was playing in that game. I was like, oh, Boston surely must have rested, guys. <laughs> My mind was blown when I saw that they pretty much played. We were the ones that didn't have Beal or Kuzma play. Yeah, exactly. And Washington did it. And Boston has nothing to play for at this point. It's hard to catch Milwaukee. I mean, you're two and a half games behind. Well, they play on Thursday. So had they won this game, then you could have uh, argued okay. Thursday so would have been meaningful. They did have something to play for, which makes it all that much worse. But um, I, I think with the East, it's look, the Bucks are the favorite. Boston's shown vulnerability. Philadelphia, no one's going to believe it to the playoffs. Cleveland, no one trusts it this year. I think they're a team a year away is kind of the, the thinking. The Knicks are a nice upstart, but even if they win in the first round, they're going to play Milwaukee. Yeah. They're locked in that four or five. There's no chance they beat Milwaukee. So at this point in the East, it is what it is. It's just, I think I'm lo- really looking forward to Boston versus Philly in that first round because Second if round. Philly's legit, that's their first test right off the bat. They're going to have to beat um, Boston in the second round, right? after. The, I mean, assuming yeah. they get through Brooklyn or whoever. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting because if Miami finishes sixth, you know Miami is not going to be scared at all about Philadelphia, right? And even if Miami finishes seventh, while I would expect Boston to beat them, they're definitely not going to be scared about them either. So Miami is the wild card here because they're finally starting to play a little bit better, a little bit less creaky. Um, they got waxed tonight. They did get waxed tonight, but no Butler. So I'm kind of like reserving that. Again, random rest game for a team that's desperate to win. It doesn't make any sense to anyone, no. Um, so it's, it's, yeah. And I really feel bad for Brooklyn. I kind of want them to make the playoffs, but I I fear that if they fall into the play-in, they may not come back out with the way Toronto's playing. <laughs> like they'll have to beat Atlanta because I don't think they beat Toronto. Yeah, for them, they need to at all costs stay in that six seed, which they're barely holding on to right now. Should um, we name the play-in tournament after Trey Young? <laughs> I feel like he's going to be a staple in it for years to come. Um, last two years had the Hornets in it, right? Hornets were in it. So we've had four years of the play-in. It's been four already? Because the bubble was the first, technically, oh, even yeah. though it wasn't this format. So remember, the bubble didn't even have a play-in in the East because nobody finished within like the whatever number of games was required. And we only had a 9-8 play-in in the West where Portland beat Memphis. Um, so I don't know if we count that. That's not the original format. There's been three years of like this format. This will be year three. Charlotte's been in it twice. Um, Atlanta, this will be their second time. This will be the Lakers probably second time. Could be the Warriors second time. Portland. Not Portland, sorry, Minnesota, maybe. So there's a lot of veterans of the play-in process that are developing. <laughs> Wizards, well, we've been in it be. once. Hey, we're one and we're one and zero in the play-in in terms of making it to the playoffs from that spot. That's true. That's true. That was the Russell Westbrook year where we talked ourselves into 34 and 38, and being boat raced by Philadelphia was a successful season. So. <laughs> Now we can't even lose right. We're out of the play and mix, and yet we still beat the freaking Celtics by 20. Why is Porzingis even playing? I have no idea. Yeah, there's draft implications because you're only a game ahead of Indiana, right? So you can at least... Dude, there's a very reasonable world in which we could get to the fifth pick, odds-wise. We're like a game out of Indiana and Orlando and Portland. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's actually clumped up there. This so, is where the tanking needs to get. I mean, Portland's already aggressively, aggressively tanking. Which knocks Dame out of an All-NBA spot, I think. Yeah, I'm, and I'm glad to keep him off my All-NBA team. Latest rumors that this might be the final swan song for him in Portland. I'll believe it when I see it. He's going he's, he's gonna to leak all these rumors and then have a Players' Tribune article on why Portland and a legacy with one team means so much. 
Players Tribune article and three uh, albums. And three rap albums. Yeah. I'm tired of saying. All right. Anything else? So I think we're going to do awards next week, playoff previews the week after, and we're almost here to the to the dance, the NBA's version. No, of the, dance. Uh, the one I, I will say just the one funny thing uh, yesterday. Um, I've never seen a game, regular season game, hyped like that by the by an organization, the <laughs> yeah. Kings. So last night, those who don't know, was if we had beat the Timberwolves, that was going to be the night we clinch a playoff spot for the first time in 17 years. Really big deal. But the amount of hype we put behind this game, the org, the announcers, the team, they had shirts on every seat for the fans. They called it the celebration of the fans. They they flew in old Sacramento Kings players. Brad Miller was in attendance. Where did um, they dig him up from? This was <laughs> this was supposed to be a big coronation for Corliss, the Kings. Corliss Williamson. Corliss Williamson might have been around there somewhere. Um, and it was kind of, you know, to be honest, it was a little embarrassing because they acted like it was a foregone conclusion we were going to win that game, like we were playing the Rockets. And all they talked about all broadcast long was the streak and how it was finally ending. And, and then we fell flat on our face. So, Well, it's funny it was because the Kings were night. seven point favorites, right? So I was like, oh, Minnesota, they're pretty good. Like, I guess, yeah, they just had a back to back win over Golden State. So they must be resting guys. So I saw Cat wasn't playing. And then yeah. I look like you. Like, I was just looking on Fandle, for example, and it looked like you couldn't bet on Anthony Edwards either. I was like, oh, okay. They rested both Ant and Cat, so this is a walkover win. Game starts, Ant's playing, and the, they immediately jumped all over. Gobert has, like, eight rebounds in the first five minutes, and I'm like, oh, God. He hit a fadeaway jumper on us. Kyle Anderson was schooling. It was bad. So, anyways, we'll clinch it, but it was just funny because there was a lot of hoopla around the game, and... I had my Peja jersey on. I was feeling like nostalgic and ready to kind of just celebrate. But man, it was. I love that. Um, here's the problem: you're going to clinch it, but it's going to be on the road at Portland. So yeah. they're yeah. just going to have to send out a memo to the fans to like celebrate wherever you are. <laughs> you know, worldwide, Wob came yeah. to the game. Too I know. Yesterday. I saw he was doing a report on the Knicks, and he was like, I can barely hear. I was like, where are you? He's like, I'm at the Golden One Center. Just like, this is a lot. Were you talking to him on the phone? What do you mean? No, like? it's like a subconscious <laughs> conversation. <laughs> oh, man. All right. I'm pumped, man. We're finally like, I feel like it's been a long season. It's been fun, but it's been kind of dreary at times. And... Even post-All-Star break, we talked about this. It was actually fun to see teams actually try hard, right? But then we had the slew of injuries. Durant, LeBron, um, Harden, you know, Zion was still hurt. Uh, Luka went out for a while. So it's kind of like annoying because it's right when Paul George, right when things got going, people started getting hurt and dropping like flies, the jaw suspension. So now we're finally like mostly back. And we're mostly ready to go. And like basically every star that matters, save for whatever happens to the Mavericks, is going to be in the playoffs or going to be in the play-in. So I can't freaking wait. And here's the crazy thing, right? Like let's say Milwaukee loses and let's say Golden State loses. Um, what do you mean? In the playoffs at any okay. point, right? Not yeah. inconceivable. They're both – I mean, Milwaukee harder to, to dethrone. Golden State could definitely go. The likely champion is going to be someone that we've – haven't had in the last 20 years not 20 years 10 years celtics sixers cleveland right you go to the west denver celtics would definitely feel like not a new contender but i hear you they're not i mean not a new contender but someone who's won the title right denver memphis phoenix clippers yeah like it it just feels like new blood even though these teams have been contending i get it but before we go Forget about what you think will happen. If you had to pick a dream final scenario, which was from what was realistically possible, what would you go with? Ooh, that's really hard. Um, Denver, Philly. Dude, we're on two. I hate when we do shit like this and then we agree and we're trying to both be a little bit different. That was exactly mine. I want to see the Embiid-Jokic debate settled on the highest stage. That's perfect because not only is it that debate, but both teams are flawed, but good enough. And they're fun. They're fun. They're teams that haven't won in so many years. 
Um, Denver, I don't think has ever won. Denver's Philly never least... won, and Philly hasn't won since 1983. Exactly. So essentially, you know, last 30 years, no one's won. That or here's the other one. I think Wait. Phoenix. <laughs> I was going to say Phoenix, Milwaukee. Well, I thought we were saying no Milwaukee or Boston. Or sorry, no Milwaukee or Golden State. Oh, yeah, sure. I guess you can go with that. I was going to say Phoenix, Boston. I think Phoenix, Boston would be fun, but stylistically, I'd be curious to see Clippers, Boston, because you have the two Apex Ooh. Predator wings for both teams and a slew of role players around them. I just, the Clippers, man, like that. Uh, I think we missed the, the peak. The version of the Clippers that we wanted to see was the Doesn't 2020 exist. bubble version. Yeah. Or last year, if Kawhi was healthy. Sorry, not last year, the year before. Um, well, they were awesome, that bubble season. That bubble season during the regular season. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Th- like, that team was what we expected it to be. Just really good defensively, both wings, two-way wings, Kawhi playing at peak of his game, Paul George playing at the peak of his game, but yeah, unfortunately, robbed. And they owned the uh, the Lakers, too, that year. And they've owned them for forever since this new rivalry started, but especially that year, they had their number. Because that was the one season that the Lakers were actually title worthy, right? So beating them in other years wasn't that impressive. Beating them that season was really impressive. Yeah. So, all right. That's a wrap for us. Please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops on all major podcast platforms. Please follow us on social media. Can't wait for the playoffs to get rolling. We're just a couple weeks away, and we will talk to you next week.